Our Father, we thank you. Because indeed you have answered us. Because we have prayed according to your will. Lord, today we receive from you understanding again. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. It's because we want to know you. That's why we have come. And Lord, that revelation of Jesus, reveal it to us today in Jesus' name. Open our hearts to receive Lord today in Jesus' name. Amen. Breathe into us afresh. Yes, breathe your life into us afresh. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Before we take our seats, let's declare the words of understanding. I want to let's go. Now I declare that the Lord has given me the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And I'm being filled with the knowledge of his will. In all spiritual wisdom and understanding, as a result of this, I'm walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. I am pleasing him in all respects. I'm bearing fruit in every good work. And I'm increasing in the knowledge of God. Now again, I incline my ears to his word. The word is entering my heart. It is giving me light and direction. It is healing me in every area. And it's making me more and more like the Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 I said amen. amen. That will be your portion today in Jesus' name. Amen. Can you greet somebody on your left and your right and tell the person, understanding is your portion. Wisdom is your portion. Insight for you in Jesus' name. Alright, let's take our seats. The Lord is good. I said the Lord is good. Alright. In our school of prayer, we are continuing looking at the power of agreement. That's what we have been looking at for some days now. And we have established the fact that um, there are three levels in which we must agree. First of all, remind me, one, agree with God, that's number one. Number two, agree with yourself. Number three, agree with your fellows, yes. Because um, if you agree with your, amongst yourselves and you disagree with God, he'll be watching you. Then he will scatter your language. It's not nice to build a building. Yeah, you know, you've invested all your money. You've reached 15th floor. You're going to 16th floor. Then money will now finish. All of you are in agreement, though. But God has disagreed. Many times when, God, when people disagree with God in agreeing with themselves, they end up getting to a place where they will have wasted a lot of efforts. Then God will scatter their language. So that is why whatever agreement we are talking about, we must start first of all with agreeing with the Lord. That is very important, all right? Now let's just open this. I think this would be good to just to get a, a, um, a text to start today. Genesis chapter 18. I want us to read something that happened um, Sodom and Gomorrah. We all know it very well. God appeared in flesh. And came with two angels to Abraham. And then, of course, you know, many things happened. And then when they were leaving, after Abraham had been told what, happened, what was going to happen. Uh, okay, let's just take it um, from verse 16. Then the men rose up from there and looked down towards Sodom. And Abraham was holding, as was walking with them to send them off. The Lord, that's one of the men now, the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Since Abraham will surely become a great and mighty nation, and in him all the nations of the earth will be blessed. For I have chosen him so that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken about him. And the Lord said, The outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah is indeed great, and their sin is exceedingly grave. I will go down now and see if they have done entirely according to his cry, which has come to me. And if not, he said, I will know. Verse 22. Then the men turned away from there and went towards Sodom, while Abraham was standing before the Lord. Abraham came near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are fifty righteous within the city. Will you indeed sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the fifty righteous who are in it? For far be it from you to do such a thing, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous and the wicked are treated alike. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth deal justly? So the Lord said, If I find in Sodom fifty righteous within the city, 
then I will spare the whole place on their account. Now, to save our time, I'm just going to jump a few verses. We know that Abraham kept on reducing the number bit by bit. He reduced it, he got to 45. At the end of the day, eventually, they got to 10. But let's just read that so that we'll complete verse 32. Then he said, Oh, may the Lord not be angry, and I shall speak only these ones. Suppose 10 are found there. And he said, I will not destroy it on account of the 10. As soon as he had finished speaking to Abraham, the Lord departed, and Abraham returned to his place. Now, um, let's read one more. First John chapter 5, quickly. Let's read that one also. First John chapter 5. Now, let's read um, verse 13. I will stop in verse um, 15. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know, now notice that, so that you may know you have eternal life. This is the confidence which we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request which we have asked from him. We are reading these two portions to highlight or to explain what it means to agree with God. Remember, agreement is on three levels. First of all, with God. Number two, with yourself. And then that is within you. And then number three, with your fellows in anything that con- concerns more than one person. Agreement with your fellows is very, very crucial. But let's just sit for today on this issue of agreeing with God. Of course, what we are talking about essentially is what we are reading from this First John chapter 5 here. That we should ask, if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Now, you see the first thing that John wrote in verse 13 there. He said, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have something. Now, please bear that in mind. He wanted them to know that they have eternal life. He now said, This is the confidence we have. Now, he was writing to them so that they can have knowledge. Now, I'm just trying to deduce something from there. Is based on what they know that they can ask according to God's will. Now, why did I read that issue of um, uh, in, in Sodom? Now, I want to bring out something here that you see when Abraham began to um, when Abraham began to discuss with God, he argued not based on emotions now, but based on principle. Are you getting my point? The problem we have a lot of times is that our prayers are based on emotions. They are not based on principle. Now, I'm not saying our emotions are not important at all. But they are secondary to the principle of God. Now, Lot was in that city. Abraham was concerned. All right? Lot was his um, uh, nephew, his relative, close relative. Abraham was concerned. But when he was going to talk to God about it, what he began to speak was on the principle of justice. You understand my point? He said, ah, you are the judge of the whole earth. Anything you do will have to be the right thing. If peradventure will find 50 righteous, are you going to still destroy the place? And God said, no. It will not be just for me to do that. So, however, I will extend my, I will extend the justice beyond being strict. I will spare the whole place on account of the 50. And Abraham kept on doing and discussing until, you know, he went on down to 45, he went on gently until he got down to 10. Now, why did he stop at number 10? Now, let me just talk about that briefly. Because, you know, we used to say that, ah, he should have just continued and just said 5. Should have continued and said only two. If you want to use that principle, then you have to, you have to stop at one. But I can assure you, one would not have worked. In fact, I am convinced nine would not have worked. I'm convinced. Now you say, why are you convinced? Well, that's my opinion. But why did it stop at ten? A number of reasons. One, it could be that the record stopped at ten. You must understand the Bible does not contain everything. If it did, the Bible says that there won't be enough space on the earth to store the books that will be written. Do you get my point? Now, that's just containing the things of the Lord Jesus Christ. All right? That there won't be enough space to store everything that will, that will be written. So, possibly he asked for less and the Lord told him to stop. It's possible. It's possible. We don't know. Oswald Chambers says that there is a restrictive power of the Spirit that did not allow him go below 10. The point in both cases, both the one I have said and the one Oswald Chambers said, is that God has a limit. We cannot just assume that because he agreed for 50, for 45, for 20, he will also agree for 5. 
No, he got to 10 and he stopped. There is a reason. If you listen to um, David Paulson discuss the issue of salt on the, of the earth and the light of the world, he will explain that there is a limit, that is a minimal amount of people. That's the concept of salt. Salt was not for flavor. When Jesus spoke about that, he was talking about preservation. They said a certain amount of salt that is necessary to be effective in preservation. In that particular situation, they stopped at 10. Now, what I want to bring out is that, that the man had to agree with God. You don't harass God about something. Get it and be blessed by it. It is not possible. Are you getting my point? It is not possible. First thing when Abraham was going to pray was to understand the principles of righteousness. Now, why am I talking about that? You see, John said, I have written to you that you may have information. I have written to you that you may have knowledge. It's based upon what you now understand that you will be able to pray prayers that are in accordance with his will. You cannot pray effective prayers except you have understanding of the things of God, or understanding of the precepts of God. So if, people, if you want your prayers to be more effective, God will not change his ways because of you. It is you that is going to learn his ways so you can agree with him. Two cannot work together except what? They are in agreement. Now, you must understand, if you read other translations of Daimos chapter 3, he said, except they have made an appointment. Except they have spoken with each other and gotten an agreed direction. Are you getting my point? So that is why we all have to, each individual, it's one of the assignments we have as believers, one of the assignments we have as Christians, to learn how God reasons. Please, that thing, you can learn it. You can learn it. That's why you have a Bible, to learn how God reasons. Now, so make this in very practical. Let me talk about the issue of the country as an example. Many times I hear Christians want to pray. Hmm? Remember I said we can all agree. We can all agree. But if our agreement is in disagreement with God, we build and build and build and build. At the end of the day, we'll get to 15th floor. We'll have wasted all our money and God will scatter our language. He will frustrate our plans. Sometimes people are in agreement. It appears. But they are not in agreement with how God reasons. You see what I'm saying in a moment. Take a question like ours. Sometimes you, have, you hear people want to pray. You understand? I've heard this many times. I'll give you practical examples. So they are going to pray for this country. We're going to pray. Look at what is going on. The position you are supposed to occupy, other people are occupying them. Is that the right thing? You will pray that this injustice must stop. Once you start like that, if I'm that place, I close my Bible and I walk away. That prayer will not cross the ceiling. It is guaranteed not to cross the ceiling. Why? Who told you you are... I mean, you, somebody owes you a particular position. Who told you? Sometimes people pray and say, this is injustice. What is injustice? It's only the tribe of Judah that is ruling. Read your Bible. God does not consider it injustice. You are the one that considers it injustice. Read your Bible. You will go to Israel and say, the scepter must stay in, in Judah. That's your, you can disagree. That's your problem. But sometimes you hear people pray. You know, they are praying out of emotion, which is drawn off um, how do I say it? Reading too much newspapers. Many years ago, my pastor from church I used to attend that time, many, many years ago. I wasn't sure the day he came. These were the days of Nadeko, not now. You know what they call the days of Nadeko? Abacha was in power, so people don't know what's Nadeko. Okay, I keep on forgetting that I'm not a young boy anymore. I'm not a small boy. I just assume everybody knows what I know. That day I was preaching, I was giving an example of Olympics when I used to watch sports. That was 1984, story that was 1984, 88. Nadeko, what do I call it? Nadeko was the days of Abacha. They were the frontline fighters for democracy. That's Nadeko. It's called National Democratic Coalition. So back to what I was saying. So my, my church does this. You come to me. <laughs> you know, sometimes you love your pastor, but you will say something, you'll be angry. So this is how I go to church. I love my pastor very much. But when it gets to that political thing, I get angry. Why? Because... I said, oh God, these opinions you are sharing, these are the things that we find in the newspapers. So. so one day I was not in church, and he said it with his own mouth. He said he realized that he had become a Nadeko prophet. But they said that Sunday just announced that he's going to stop reading newspapers for a while. They didn't realize that, they said those things, they crawl on you bit by bit, they just creep into your life. He said, before you know what's happening, you become what? A Nadeko prophet. And listen, my brethren, Last year, I saw so many Biafran prophets. There were so many. There were so many. 
And I said, I've seen this thing before. This prophecy, you understand, they are prophesying. It's not God. It's emotion. Those days, my pastor will say that when he, he can preach one and a half hours on national matters, quoting scriptures upside down. <laughs> I just be looking at him like this man. Is this what God sent us to do? I'll just be looking, say, what kind of thing is this one? But he said it himself. I can say that boldly because he came afterwards and apologized to everybody. He said he's so sorry that he just realized that if you are not careful, you become a Nadeko prophet. And many Christians I see it around. I live in the East now. Then I was in the West, and that was the thing that Nadeko was strongest. And I live in the East now, and many, many pastors are Biafran prophets. Now the Kano is their high priest. Now it sounds funny, but they won't say it openly. But deep, he has poured the spirit into them, and they now bring the, those prayer points to church. I just shake my head that this God won't listen to this prayer. It's not based on His principles. It's based on emotions. Abraham did not go to God and say, you see, in Sodom, my brother is there. I beg, Biko, this thing I'm just begging you. It's just because he's my brother. didn't say that. He argued on divine precepts. Now, God could see his heart that he loved Lot. And for his sake, God delivered Lot. But for his prayer to be effective, he had to move on to God's side he had to move to the Lord's side. It's a discipline. It's a discipline you, will ha- you must learn, every believer, to sit down, forget your own emotions. Read what he put down in scriptures. Let me give an example. In Nigeria right now, we have all these, um, you know, well, it waxes and wanes. God is answering us, but headsmen versus, um, you know, farmers clashes and all of that. If you want God to hear your prayer, go and read your Bible and see what he says about the, those things. I have found out when most Christians pray, God can't listen. They are sectarian. It's we and them. And once you say we and them, God says, who is we? Are you here as a southerner? Are you here as a relative of the farmer? Once I was talking to one of my brethren, I said, listen, have you even heard the side of the headsmen. He said, I don't want to hear their side. And you won't go to hear your prayer. If you say, I have not heard it, but the killing is wrong, they are fine. When you come to such prayers, you don't pass judgment on anybody. Do you know why? You have not interviewed anyone. And it will be foolishness to pass judgment on what you have not heard any of the parties talk about. It might be painful to your body, but manage it like that. I'm telling you the truth. These are the disciplines of Christianity. It doesn't mean you don't pray, you, but you will settle down. You know, when Marco did the other day, because Binu is the hotbed of all of these things. And I preached, some people said that there, among the questions people asked, that people said, This is it. I told them that if you're a believer, if you read your Bible enough, you know how to pray for such things. You pray for mercy. You don't pray against anybody. You pray for divine mercy on the people and on the land. Because when God is executing his anger, that's exactly how it manifests. So you don't even know whether it's the anger of God you are witnessing. Because it exists. It's wrong teaching that Christians make like God does not, is the devil. Forget that thing. I know I've said to you many, many times. Read your Bible and try and believe the Bible. When God is angry, there's a way you know it. One, the Bible called, there's what the Bible calls sword. When God wants to destroy, one of the things he used to destroy is what? The sword. What is the sword in modern day? Is a gun. Guns don't fire themselves, people fire them. Next, you hear of pestilence. What's pestilence? Pestilence, wasting diseases, outbreaks, cholera, Ebola, Lassa fever. Are you getting my point? Things like that. What else do you hear about? Famine, thank you very much. Those are the manifestations. And last of all, thank you, natural disasters, earthquakes. Sometimes it's not even famine, it's too much rain, and it's the same thing. You know it's the same thing. Sometimes there's no rain at all. Then, then rain is too plenty. And when God says you pray for prayer, say pray for the early rain and the latter rain in the time of the early rain and latter rain the time. Because if God gives you early rain too early, oh, pari. if he gives you latter rain too late, too, that's bad. 
So when it now gives you early and later rain continuously, perpetually, around the year, you can't farm. When it rains in India, even the rice will wash away. We've seen the rice like this, washing away. You know, rice likes water. Yeah, the rain can be so heavy. The rice will say, I'm going. So these are the four ways by which the judgment of God manifests. The anger of God. And please, God has indignation. Nobody should tell me that he doesn't have. Some of the things we are here Christians preach is unfortunate. That since Jesus Christ died, God stopped being angry with people. And I want to ask, where did you read that one? Because Jesus himself said it as he was about to die. That this city, I was talking about Jerusalem, he said they are good at shedding blood. He said, so that the blood of all the prophets from Abel to Zechariah who perish between the porch and the altar will be brought upon in this generation. What did he say? He said, I will give them more prophets to kill. And those ones came after Jesus. He said, what will be the manifestation of divine judgment? It was 70 years after Jesus that it came. He said, when you see the armies surround Jerusalem, know that her desolation is near. Who said to you that since Jesus died, God does not get angry anymore? The Jesus that was dying for everybody, he said, I would have loved to gather you like a hen gathers her, you know, her, her cheeks. He said, but you don't have any of it. Therefore, your house has been left to you desolate. And everything he said came to pass. He said, it will not happen that one stone will be left on top of another. When the Romans attacked the city, they surrounded it. Nobody could escape. Only those who saw the soldiers early, who heeded the words of the Lord Jesus, escaped. And he said, if you're on the mount, if you're on the rooftop, no, 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 no. He said, don't go inside the house. Jump down from there and move. That's when you say, ha, how blessed is the one who did not bear children. Because if your children went to school, you can't run. You will first get to their school to look for them. Too bad. You are in. The soldiers surrounded Jerusalem and killed everybody. And it was the anger of God. Because he said it, it was vengeance for all the prophets they had killed. So let nobody lie to me that God does not get angry again. Go and read the book of Revelations. You will see the anger of God there. What's the point I'm making? Listen, we need to learn how he reasons. So when I saw those things, you know, I remember four things. When God's anger wants to manifest, let's go over them again. One, sword. Modern day, what sword? Gun, explosion. There you get my point. Then number two, pestilence, wasting diseases. Number three, farming. Number four, natural disasters. If you can't lay your hands on a series of messages that David Paulson preached on understanding natural disasters, the spiritual angle of it, you'll be blessed listening to those things. So sometimes when you see things like that, you want to pray. People come to, when they want to now start praying, what did they start doing? Who are those who killed the people in their homes? Start praying against them. All the people die, die, die. And it does not solve the problem. Let me tell you something about God. If an evil man is used to do evil in his judgment, a time will come, evil will still turn upon that man. That's just the way he behaves. But that's not, you're not looking for who God will turn evil against. You just want these, these problems to stop. I hope you're getting my point here. So when such things happen, when it, like the Bible says in the time of Asa, there was no peace to him that came in and to him that went out. And if you saw such things, what do you do? You don't start thinking like the common people think. Sometimes it's painful to you because you feel connected. You know, the, the typical thing that happens in Nigeria is that when you hear such things, uh, headsmen who are Muslim Muslims, full Muslims, attack farmers who a lot of times, not all the time, are supposed Christians, you feel a connection. When I say not all the time, look, <laughs> go to Zanfada. It's happening everywhere. Are you getting my point? That's why I said not all the time. You feel a kind of connection. So your prayer tends to be stirred up in anger against the aggressor. And can I say to you today, if you have been praying like that, you've been wasting your time. You've not been in agreement with God. What is the agreement in God? Asking for his mercy. Understanding his judgment. Understand that it is possible that he's the one that is angry. And so what you do, first of all, is to appease his anger. And it's, it's very possible. The Bible says that he's slow to anger. And what? Anyway, there's another scripture I'm looking for. Anyway, let me summarize like this. He's very slow to get angry, but very quick to forgive. 
That's how God is. So things that people piled up against him for years, if they come in repentance, 24 hours, they can end it. That's just the way he behaves. But if we come to him, we don't reason like this. We're in disagreement. We'll be there praying for a very long time. To me, one of the most... Well, don't let me qualify it in a relative term. To me, one of the wrong doctrines we have perpetrated in, this, in, in, this, in, this, in today's Christianity, which has worsened things, was this concept that God only does good, only the devil does what we call bad. I think it's a very bad doctrine. I think it's very bad. Why? Because when people should be repenting, they are rebuking. That's how I summarize it. When people should be repenting, they are rebuking. Calamity will come upon the land. You know what God said? He said, I, the Lord, sent it. They said, no, he only allowed it. I said, okay, good, good, leave it like that now. I allowed it. Instead of saying, he turned us turn and said, God, what happened? What are we doing wrong? Or what are we refusing to do? Because action and inaction, both of them can be wrong. You can be doing wrong, or your refusal to do anything again in itself is wrong. Sometimes, you know, you say, instead of saying, what are we, what is it? He says, it's the devil, it's the devil, it's the devil. And once we start this devil, 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 devil thing, we stay on that spot for a much longer period. That is the problem with it. That is the problem with it. That's why I don't like that doctrine. I think we magnify the devil too much. We magnify the devil too much. You know, if you please, if you go and get our series, God-centered praying, I discuss these things in there. Everything is devil, 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 devil. Once I thought about it, because in that book of um, Acts, in chapter 10, he said, you know of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Ghost and with power, and he went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed of whom? The devil. the devil. For God was with him. I asked myself, why was he healing all who were oppressed of the devil? If indeed he himself causes problems. I, I don't know where I get my point. Because sometimes the problem we have when we are teaching some of these things is that we find it hard to reconcile such scriptures. And so all oppression is of the devil. That is not true. That is all suffering is of the devil. That's not true. That, of course, just, let's just believe this Bible. When Elijah went and said there will be no rain for three years, was that the devil? No, answer me like you are here. Ah, wait. There was famine. Women were suffering. Men were suffering. Children were hungry. Was that the devil? Ah, wait, wait, what is you? These people don't have, you don't understand this doctrine or what? How can farming not be the devil? Okay, I, I agree with you. I'm on your side, trust me. <laughs> but the way we reason sometimes, you know, sometimes they say that oh, only the devil does this. I say, wait, who killed everybody on the earth minus Noah, Mrs. Noah, and the children of Noah? Who did? You mean God kills people? What kind of God are you? No, my father doesn't do any bad thing. God is not the one killing the people of the earth. It wasn't God. It was the devil. What they needed to know was how to rebuke and to resist. Hallelujah. You've heard such doctrines. I'm sure you've heard such things. You know, when we are preaching, we don't think globally. If we thought globally, we wouldn't say those things. So I asked myself, I said, if indeed... Now, let me just give us an example. People will say that, uh, is God fighting himself? Why did Jesus stop the storm? I might trying to say, God's fighting himself. I want to ask you a simple question. Could Jesus have stopped the storm that's knocking out Jonah? The storm that was taking out Jonah, could Jesus have stopped it? I will tell you the answer. No. Do you know why? Jesus was the one blowing the breeze. <sighs> he wouldn't have. Let me not use the word couldn't. He wouldn't have. He was the one blowing the breeze on Jonah. For obvious reasons. And when the men tossed Jonah overboard, please, let's, look, let's leave the devil out of some things. He doesn't, like I keep on telling people, you, you have to understand that the devil also gets afraid. I hope you know that. Yes. Is it in your Bible like that? Yes, yes it is. Because he said his time is near. So he too gets afraid. So he doesn't have all the time pursuing people all over the place. Sometimes, some things are just God. They killed everybody on the earth minus Noah and his descendants. And it was not the devil. The devil was even taking lessons from there. Is this how they kill people? <laughs> now, I feel like flushing that doctrine out of our minds. Because many times when Christians should be repenting, they are rebuking. Please go and read Revelation. Those letters of the seven churches. They were the words of the Lord Jesus. He warned them, I will come and take your lampstand out of his place. Tell that woman Jezebel, I will cast her on the bed of affliction. 
and I will strike her children dead. I've had an argument with people who say, I should show one place where Jesus ever did anything. I quoted that one. I said, does that qualify? So the question is, that what, when does oppression, that's the point, and I was asking, when is it the oppression of the devil? Jesus went around doing good and healing those who were oppressed of the devil. There's a reason why that was qualified, for God was with him. I'll tell you simply. The Bible says, I think it was Nebuchadnezzar I was writing to, no, the Assyrians, that I sent you as a rod of punishment against my people, but you fought that the punishment. It's possible for God to say to the oppressor, stop here. He said, no, I'm enjoying this thing. And every moment beyond the one that God ordained for the people to be punished, that guy is incurring double judgment for himself. So, it happens that Satan oppresses people beyond the time they should be oppressed. Let me give you a summary of it. One is the oppression of the devil. Any punishment, any suffering after forgiveness has been issued is oppression. Are you getting my point? If a young man stole something and police grabs him and handcuffs him, is that oppression? Is that oppression? If they lock him in a cage, it's not nice. Is that oppression? As long as the judge finds him guilty and says two years imprisonment, and let's take it literal, 365 days times two, a day after 365 days times two, should he still be in prison? The moment 365 days is over, any extra day he stays in jail is oppression. Let's take that young man as an example. Let's assume after the policeman arrests him. Somebody now comes and says, Oh, sorry, it's not the young man, no. We found that it's not him, it's his friend. They now produce his friend, and that one is now locked up. Automatically, this is Nigeria, the DPP. Is that what, what, is it DPP? Eh? Director of Public Provision, is that what it is? The one that prosecutes locally. <laughs> now says they should let the young boy go. Or if the policeman does not uncuff him and release him from the cell, what is that? Oppression. Because right now you have no reason to keep him there. Why? He's not guilty. Let's assume he went to trial. And the judge looks at the evidence and says, not guilty. You are hereby discharged and acquitted. You know, sometimes he will say, uh, it's happened to many people. You discharge and acquit them on Friday. Next week, Wednesday, they are still looking for somebody to sign a release. Every extra day is oppression. That's why we explained here before. John the Baptist came first, preaching a preaching the baptism of repentance. For what? The forgiveness of sins. Yet he did no mighty work. Everybody that took John the Baptist's baptism, repented of his or her sins, went back home still sick, went back home still suffering in any way, at that point it had become oppression. And they are the ones that Jesus went to set free. So any time you find any one of them, come on, get up, walk. Blind eyes, open. He kept on... And those were the people that he targeted. The Pharisees were also sick. They did not get healed. The Sadducees were also sick. They didn't get healed. No miracle. People died in their homes. Nothing. As they died, they were buried. Do you understand? Jesus didn't answer anybody. Why? Theirs was no longer... Op- it was not yet oppression. Many of the sufferings they were going through was what? The just recompense of reward. That's what the Bible calls the just recompense of reward for disobedience. That's why we Christians, we confess our sins fast, fast. Sharp, sharp. Rapidly. We don't hold any iniquity in our hearts. The moment the Holy Spirit says that one is not right, ah, we confess it rapidly. Do you know why? If you don't, you're not under oppression even though you are suffering. But once you have confessed, instantly it becomes what? oppression, and then you claim deliverance in the name of Jesus, except there is forgiveness, there is no oppression. Everything is just. The word oppression is used for those who have received forgiveness. If you haven't received forgiveness, you are not under oppression. You are under punishment. There is a difference between oppression and punishment. Just recompense of reward for disobedience. There is a word of difference. That just by the way for Christians to understand. Alright? So, when we are praying, like I was saying, in that kind of context, we don't reason from emotions. Abraham did not come reasoning with his emotions. Abraham came reasoning based on principle. And that's why I tell Christians, learn to you know, go for God's mercy. 
There's a principle of mercy that's in Christ Jesus. That's what we operate by. Those are the precepts of God. You know, you come into agreement with what God is saying. You come into agreement with how God is reasoning. So you're praying for a country like ours. You start asking for mercy upon the land because the people have sinned more than the judgment they have even seen. And any time judgment comes, we've already explained it, a lot of it you will see it. Especially when it's sword. Sword will make you unhappy. You know who God used to judge Jerusalem? The Romans. They just didn't show mercy. They brought out their sword and continued killing. But could anything stop it? No. It was a decree from God. So many times we are praying in our country, I'm sorry to say it. That's why I thank God for the assignment he has given me, leading people in prayer. You know, before this election happened, you know, I, some things we preached here, I quickly circulated them, you know, through to the thousands of people on our mailing list, put on a web, our website, put it out on Twitter, put it out on Facebook. I just wanted Christians to listen. Because if they didn't get those words, their prayers are empty. Because many times people are saying, Lord, your will be done in this election. You know, they, they knew his will, as far as they were concerned. They knew his will. His will is this man. In fact, God's will was anybody but the current head of state. So the day, the day results came out, one of my brethren said that the mood in the country is down. I said, who said so? There was no down. I mean, those who voted for him were elated. Three of us, they had identified who they felt the, prayer, uh, the will of God was. And if God didn't do that, his will was not done. So they were praying, ah, God, the will of God. They were confessing will of God. Once will of God manifests, they compare will of God to their own previous version. And there's this will of God 2.0. It's not, it's not in alignment. I just laughed. I told my wife, you know, people were consoling themselves. You know, the will of God is still... I said, why do you need consolation? I said, the degree to which you need consolation is the degree to which you put your eyes on somebody. That's it. So when people... Of course, when people have their own emotions, they have their own thoughts, the truth is that our prayers are ineffective. That was why I sent that message out that time, hoping that Nigerians would listen to the messages. They would listen, because if they didn't, we'll be praying, and it's sad. And there are times I hear Christians praying, I'm sorry, thank God for the understanding he has given us, and that's my job, to instruct in righteousness, all right, with the word of God. I just say this prayer, there's no way God can answer it. It's not in line with his character. He will not answer it. He cannot come down to Sodom and Gomorrah and be binding him. So I declare upon this land, you will remain fruitful in the name of Jesus. You know, you know what God actually said? Woe to the one that says it shall be well with the wicked. That is, it is a sin to see people going on in their wickedness and you are prophesying upon them for good. Would it not interest you that Jesus did not pray for the world one time? He prayed only for those who believed in him. Father, I pray that they will be one. You know, he, he didn't pray for those who did not believe. He prayed for those who believed and those who will believe through their words. As for those who did not believe, you know what he said to them? They are condemned already. Is that not what the Bible says? He didn't know how to pray for people. <laughs> who refuse to believe that they should be blessed. That is why, if you go and check the most important prayer, uh, 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 there was a particular series uh, we taught here briefly, talking about how to pray for a nation as an example. That if your prayer, look, listen, this is how it works. I'm saying I agree with God. You have to know how God reasons. In every land, you know what God is interested in? His people. Now, when I say His people, now I mean it in two categories. There are those who have believed, and there are those that will believe by their words. Those are the people I, I mean, those are the people that constitute his people. There are those who have already believed, and there are those who will believe through their words. So many times, what the Lord is saying is simple. In that land, many seem not to have believed yet. But, and if I pour judgment, they will perish. Are you getting my point? So the people of God will now pray like this. That God will give them time. So if you're asking for God for peace upon the land, you are not asking for peace upon the land, so that the land will remain the way it is. You are not asking for peace upon the land so that injustice will continue. No, it doesn't work like that. 
When you're asking for a piece of land, it's like what they call you know, in every conflict, the ceasefire. Why do they arrange ceasefire a lot of times in conflict? So that aid may go in. There are many, and the aid is not for wounded soldiers. I hope you know that. I hope you know it's not for wounded soldiers. It's not for those in battlefront. Um, the aid agencies are not bringing food and medicine for those who are fighting. No, they bring food and medicine for who? The civilians. The people who have been affected by the conflict. So they will negotiate ceasefire between the two warring parties. You use the same principle. When we are praying, all right, you are actually praying so that God will, when you are asking for peace, so that peace will be upon the land with one hope in mind that because of that peace, the gospel can advance. There has to be a constant advancement of the gospel. Otherwise, the peace is pointless. I hope you are getting my point. Let me tell you the truth. The other day I was studying the book of Acts. And let me make that statement again. And then I'll tell you what I found in the book of Acts. I said there has to be what? A constant advancement of the gospel. Otherwise, the peace that God has given will be pointless. And you know what will happen? He will withdraw it. Yes, he will. I guarantee you that he will. Derek Prince said, <laughs> every Christian must be involved, one way or another, in the advancement of the gospel. And let me leave that one with you today. One way or the other, you must be involved actively, not mistakenly. You know what I call mistakenly? Because you go to church every Sunday. Abraham's blessings are mine. You, all, you have this habit of dropping two 200 naira on Sundays. You know, two 200 naira. And you know you're a big boy now. So you for 5,000. Every Sunday, God knows you give 5,000 as offering. But you know, and you're impressed with yourself. You know that. Can I just say to you, that doesn't count. Because it's a childhood habit. That you have just increased the volume. You are not yet thinking of, this my money is needed. For the advancement of the gospel. Many people are still giving idolatrous giving. What's idolatrous giving? If you don't give God, he won't bless you. If you are still thinking like that, you are an idolater. You have, no, you have not known Jesus yet. Let me not get sidetracked into that. Derek Prince said that every Christian must be actively involved. This is, what, this is how I interpret it. Yeah, you ask yourself on a regular basis, how am I contributing to the advancement of the gospel. How am I contributing to the advancement of the gospel? Just a question you ask yourself regularly. What do you do about it? I'm not discussing that now. But just ask yourself that regularly. That is why, just because you give an offering, shouldn't satisfy you. I don't know what I get my point. If you don't feel like the offering is advancing the gospel, go and give it somewhere else. There are offerings that are only advancing the Babel. Do you hear what I call Babel? Say so we shouldn't spread beyond here. So we increase the size of the auditorium. We keep on. So this is our, this is our church building. Has to be the finest in town. Hallelujah. So our pulpit, before it was rugged, we think it should be made of marble. They want it to be marble for some time. We should encrust it with diamonds. We keep on having ideas of vain glory. And Christians will be giving heavily and say it is for the house of my God. Let me just tell you again. I hope you know there is no building that is the house of your God. I hope you are aware of that. There is none. The house of your God is no more house of your God than my house is the house of your God. What is the house of your God? The true house of your God. Can you touch the house of God? Touch another one. Touch another one. Please touch ten houses of God. Even if it scatters the whole, I don't care. Make sure you touch up to ten. Even me, I must touch. I'm, I must touch. You must reach ten. I must touch. Oh, your house of God. You people are I must touch. I must touch. <laughs> That's the house of God. That's the house of God. <laughs> uh-huh. The houses of God, amen? amen. That's it. And there are so many people that are supposed to be the house of God who have not yet been discovered. That's the house of God. Every building we meet in is a convenient meeting place. Like this one now is an inconvenient meeting place. <laughs> so we are moving out of here. <laughs> the Lord is good. 
Now, so, the reference said, every Christian must be actively involved. One way or another, he said. And as you wake up in the morning and say, no, what, what am I doing? Am I sharing tracts somewhere? Am I using my money to print tracts that somebody else is sharing? Am I contributing to broadcasting the word somewhere? Am I physically going somewhere? Am I standing in a bus station and declaring the word displacing those who come there to make money? You know, you know uh, bus stations full of people who come to, make, to do business. And you cannot complain. They will go if you go there. That means they will leave the place if you will go. Come there, don't take an offering. You know, some people don't know where to take off, where not to take offerings. <laughs> so if you love me, you want me to succeed in this ministry. That's what one man told us once in a bus station. If you love me, you want me to succeed in this my ministry. Well, I ask him, why should I love you? Do I know you? <laughs> I think we all love people anyhow. Just wake up and just be loving people. What am I trying to say? If people who are not looking for money go there. Look, it's a new habit. We should form the habit. Look, I'm challenging you if you can. People are open to the gospel when they want to travel. You know now. <laughs> Let me give you a small trick. Don't pray for their journey at the end. Pray for their journey at the beginning. Let us pray. As you're about to set out on this journey, your wife that told you bye-bye, she will tell you welcome. <laughs> ah, the man will say Amen. I don't want to catch women. I saw them. Your children will not miss their mother. Hey! All the women will say amen. So before I go, let me just share the word with you. For that prayer's sake, they will hear. <laughs> really, what I'm telling you seriously. Just go with some tracts. We have tracts as an example. Just speak a few. It's, you know, just talk to people for three minutes. Give them the tracts. Please read it on, on the way. And then you step down and say, have a nice time. You know what? The moment you don't ask for money, in today's day and age, respect goes like this. Oh, respect will go like this. You just step, and you know what? I can assure you, in that bus station, respect will be in the roof. They will respect you. This man is not here for money. I'm begging you, don't go there to collect an offering. Why have we squeezed, at least now, people, once they see us, they are suspicious. You know, oh God, it makes me feel bad. Once they see us, they are suspicious. Once you start praying, the guy says, now you get changed. They are already, they are suspicious of us. Because they know it will end there. And most of the times, it ends there. Ah, Father God, it will not continue like that in Jesus' name. Now I'm praying, I'm asking that those of us who can, nothing wrong with it. You can say, okay, I do it only once a week. That's an example. But the reprint said, every Christian, every Christian must be involved one way or another. That's why occasionally you hear, when we hear that they want to sponsor, you know, I, 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 I drop it here. Say, so look, there's some people who are doing mission work in an area where you and I are not likely to go. They need money. Bring money. And we gather money and we send to them. And it helps them. If you are looking for how to give missionaries in the north money, please come and see me. I'll give you an account number where they use the money you are giving. Pastor Courage arranges that. If you send them money, just, you can just decide, okay, I'm sending them 1000 every month, 2000 10000 50000 as God allow, enables you, 100000 every month or every quarter. I can assure you what he does with that money that enters the account. He helps pastors pay children's school fees. Pay their house rent. People ministering in difficult places. The Red Prince said, every Christian must be involved. That is, I don't, you know I said something? Not one you just drop carelessly, childhood habit. It's not, I'm not saying it's horribly bad. It doesn't qualify for what we're talking about. We're saying something you do deliberately that, no, this gospel must advance. God must use me to advance this gospel. Back to the message. When God gives peace, are you getting my point? It is for that purpose. And if that is not being done, he withdraws his peace. Now, I was going to quote something for you. I, I thought I was going to tell you about something. Let me not get back to it. I read the book of Acts. I heard Kenneth Higgins say this many years ago. I heard Kenneth Higgins say it many years ago. But I was talking again a few, well, last one week or so, two weeks ago. And I noticed it myself. That after the church was established, 
You understand? After Jesus left, tarry, tarry where? In Jerusalem. What's the next line? Until. I want that word. What? Until. That's it. After. You don't have to tarry in Jerusalem. Do you know many years after, they were still tarried in Jerusalem? They had received power from on high. They were still in Jerusalem. So, you read the book of Acts. Persecution came upon them. You know why? Because the peace they had as a church was not advancing the gospel. The church in Jerusalem was big. They were enjoying peace. The world was prospering. Peter would be walking about. People would be getting healed. And they, they were still tarried where? In Jerusalem. God said, okay. Stephen, go and preach. Stephen preached. And what happened? He stoned him. Persecution, perhaps a great persecution came upon the church. And then you know, you know what happened? The church now scattered. Now the Bible says, those that scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the gospel. I know that persecution ended with the conversion of Saul. Once Saul was converted, boom, that was the end of it. You know the real spiritual reason? They are spread everywhere. It was when they began to advance that gospel. Well, they, because they stayed in Jerusalem, the persecution came. Once they scattered abroad, and they went everywhere preaching the gospel, Philip went to Samaria. Are you getting my point? They just went everywhere. In fact, you know, let's not go into that now. I found out later, even quarrel started somewhere on whether they should they have a right to preach to Gentiles or not preach to Gentiles. But at least they had left Jerusalem. I know that another thing I found about Paul, just by the way I studied the book of Acts, I found out something about the man Paul. He called it the thorn in the flesh. Okay? Alright, but that thorn in the flesh played out in another way. That's why God said, my grace is sufficient for you. Every time you harass Saul, Paul in a city, he always left the city. Go and read your Bible. He never stood to withstand any persecution. Once you stone him, that's the last stone. He's going. Once you plot, you want to kill him, they put him in a basket, they throw him out through the window. He will go. That is, every time Paul was persecuted, he served the purpose of advancing the gospel. Every time you harassed him, the gospel prospered. He told them ahead of time that when you are persecuted in one city, what do you do? Run to the next one. Paul obeyed that into the letter. And you know what happened? The gospel advanced. Now, I'm looking at something. So the book of Acts, God gave those the church in Jerusalem peace. And when the peace was now working in such a manner that the gospel was not advancing, the Lord withdrew it. That's why when you are praying for any nation, eh? especially in a country where you are in, think like a believer. Know that what is important to God is his people. So there are two sets of his people. You understand that? There are those who have already believed and those that will believe. And you know what Paul said? Paul said concerning those that will believe, he said, how will they believe except there is a preacher? How will they preach except they are sent? Are you, I hope you're getting my point. So all of this is we bear it in mind as believers when we are praying. So when you are saying peace in Nigeria, peace in Ghana, peace in Cameroon, peace wherever it is, Listen, those people praying for peace should know the purpose of peace. If the purpose of peace in your heart does not include the advancement of the truth of Jesus on the earth, God won't listen to you. You know, there are words you must take literally. I want to give you those words. I am sure you have heard them before. I want you to hear them again. These words. Seek you first the kingdom of God. I've heard it before. If you've heard it before, say Amen. amen. Now, what am I saying today? Take it literally. When you wake up in the morning, seek you first the kingdom of God. You know what I found out? Christians, they don't seek first the kingdom of God. They seek the kingdom of God as one of those parallel things of life. What they seek first is what shall we eat? What shall we drink? And with what shall we clothe ourselves? The kingdom of God most times is sought as a method of achieving what we shall eat, what we shall drink, and what shall we drive. So they say to us, so God, if mission is moving to Mali. We have about 25 brethren who are going, and we, our budget for everything is like 3.5 million the first year. As we are giving to that project, 
God will be opening doors for your company. You will see all the Christian businessmen line up. I know what they are doing. They are giving towards that project. They are giving. Why? Because this year, I must stop turning over only 100 million. I must join those who are turning over 10 billion. So how do I do it? Give to the Malian mission. That is seeking second the kingdom of God. What are you seeking first in that one? Business increase. And listen to me. That's the word of God for this season. If you continue thinking like that, God will never participate in your prayers. He will not listen. You're not thinking the way he's thinking. Back to what we're saying. So in a, place, a country like ours, we pray for peace. You know what Paul said? He said, it is so that we can live a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness before God who desires that all men will be what? Saved. Paul was not saying, live a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and sleep at home while all men are dying in their iniquity. It's because God desires that all men will be saved. I'm talking about agreeing with God. When Abraham approached God, it's like, God, this is how he reasons. He's a God of justice. And a God of justice, you must understand, when God came down to Sodom and Gomorrah, it was judgment time. It was justice. He said clearly to Abraham, this is what they have done. I want to confirm, and I have to judge them. And Abraham couldn't say to him, don't judge them. If he had to pray, what he could say is this, can you give me one more year? That's the kind of prayer he could pray. He couldn't stay there and say, God, don't judge Sodom and Gomorrah. If we wanted to pray the way we would pray, now what he could just do is, God, give us a year. Let us move the gospel in there. You've read that, test, that kind of thing before. He said, come back next year. Maybe you'll find a hundred righteous people. And then he'll turn to his people. Guys, we have to study Sodom and Gomorrah mission project. What's that? SGMP. SGMP has to move immediately. We have just 12 months. I know if Sodom and Gomorrah want to die, you know what they will do? And that's what happens. When they want to die, as soon as they arrive, they will start stoning them. Once one stone hits Abraham in the head, say, boys, let's go home. These guys are dead meat. After that, he'll just be praying, say, God, if there are people that are yours inside there, we ask of you, in the name of Jesus, send them our way, make something, dislock them, send them out. And after that, I'm not joking about this, Abraham will sit and watch them burn. He will cry, but that's all he can do. Because the God that came was the God of what? Justice. It was the God of justice. So when he wanted to speak with that God of justice, he told him, in your judgment, will you destroy the righteous with the wicked? And then they agreed that if we find ten righteous, we won't destroy the place. Abraham felt that the place would be saved. He didn't know how bad Sodom and Gomorrah is. Sometimes I look at our brethren. I say, some of the places you are running to, you don't know how bad. You don't know how bad. How bad are some places I don't know? But let me just ask you a question. Which one is more important for your children? Is it the education founded upon there is no God, but with good roads? You know in Nigeria you go to school. God goes to school in Nigeria. I hope you know that. There is no separation between state Church and state. Church is the state here. Everything, mosque, church, combined, state. When federal government wants to talk, they will pray in English, uh, pray in Islamic way, pray, pray in uh, Christian way, pray every way. Go for faculty board meeting, they will say opening prayer for us. In their school, assembly ground, let us pray. Father! Father, your father is an atheist or not, is your family problem. And people will not tell me that education is not good. I'm sorry, I don't like to insult Christians, but you are not well. How can you tell me the education where they pray on assembly ground is inferior to the one where they don't? You don't know spiritual things. I know it's my pet project. Some of you are angry with me, but I will say what I want to say. No, is it possible? Children want to study in the morning. Teacher bows the head with them. He enters class. Say, children, let us pray. Father, today we come before you. They teach them with bad English and chalk in, 19, in 2019. And you now go to one who say, Alright, I want everybody to write down for me, God is dead. How many of you have seen that film? God is not dead. So write on a piece of paper for me, God is dead, so that we can move on with this lecture. 
There is no God. God is a figment of our imagination. When people didn't know, when there was no medicine to help them know about viruses, when there was no medicine to let them know about bacteria, they said there were plagues from one God somewhere. But now we know by viruses, we know bacteria, so there's no God. How did it come into existence? One day. No, sorry, on no day, no time, nothing was going nowhere because there was no address. Then nothing happened to nothing. Then as a result, nothing exploded. And now we are here today, descendants of baboons, you know? And you tell me that is good education. Do you think you are normal? <laughs> I'm asking you, child of God, do you think your head is correct? I don't think so. I don't think so. I'd rather you teach my children, after you pray with them in the morning, use chalk and use bad English. We'll correct it later. The fear of God is the beginning of knowledge. True knowledge, you'll acquire it later. Not that my son will now be 18 years old, he's confused. He wake up, Daddy, I feel like a girl. <laughs> Why won't you feel like a girl when they tell you there is no there is no God? Nonsense. The Lord is good. I said the Lord is good. How did I get into that? You know, I have this my pet project that I always get into it once in a while. But the point I'm making, let me summarize, let us go. Alright? Let's listen, this point I'm making. When we want to come into prayer, we have to learn to reason the way God reasons. When we're talking about praying according to the will of God, let's get back to it. It doesn't mean God has revealed to you, pray that this man will be president. That's not what it means. That's not what it means. You just know the things that God doesn't like. Number one, he doesn't like injustice. You know what, what, what he wants? Advancement of the gospel. Say, so Lord, give us a leader that will create this environment for us in the name of Jesus. That is all. That's all. You just reason the way he reasons. Don't pray prayers like it's our turn. Who is our? You know, some Christians, they throw away their identity when it comes to politics. Suddenly, they are our, our, with unbelievers. They are our, with unbelievers. Are you, are you getting my point? They are suddenly our. There. I was speaking on radio. One man said, this thing I'm saying is the problem. That do we know, just what I've taught you now, I was just teaching on radio. He said, do we know what the other people are telling their people? So I said, who is them? I don't know whether you get my point. Who is them? They are not my opponents. You talking. If you don't believe, you are not born again. You are them. As far as I am concerned, I'm in the same camp. So don't just pull me into your camp at all. Don't. You are praying for prosperity for the country. Some people say, look at China, look at what China has done. How does that concern me? Help us to dwell in peace. So before God, you know, who wants all men to be saved? Like Pastor Kimite was teaching us earlier, let's pray for the pastors, for the preachers. Then pray for the church so that they will know what is right, what is important. If you see Churches that are going upward but not outward. It should be a prayer point for you. There are times you will pray and say, God, the way we have prospered, scatter it, let's prosper in another way. I'm saying, and it will be a valid prayer point. God will get you to a place spiritually eh, that you will be praying some dangerous prayers. There are times you will pray and say, God, I'm asking this week you should scatter some churches. You won't mention this anywhere. The people are not friends with their neighbors. Break their wall. Because you know what God wants? That they will be one. As he and the Father are one. So when you see some things that are not being done, it becomes a prayer point for you. God does not have the natural human being's sense of justice. Rotational presidency is not God's plan. I hope you know that. You can't pray to God for it. In Israel, there was no rotational kingship. If a household annoyed God, he killed everybody, and appointed somebody else to replace them. And if those ones please God, 200 years later, their descendants are still kings. Sometimes we want to pray that Christians will be in government. Where did the Bible say it's necessary? Read your Bible. Show me one place where the Bible says you should pray that a Christian will be head of state. What he made clear to you is that he can use anybody. The people he called his servant in the Bible, Nebuchadnezzar, and what's the name of that guy? Cyrus. They were not Christian. They were not Jews. They were not people of God. You take those examples and pray effective prayers. When the temple was rebuilt under Nehemiah and Ezra, the person that funded it was an unbeliever. I hope you are getting my point. These are the, when we say pray in accordance with God's will, that's what we are talking about. Later I will talk about you know, agree with ourselves. At least within ourselves. Sometimes when we are praying, we want God to 
to help you. Your business is not doing well. Instead of you to focus on that, you're asking God to remove this. This is the change we voted for. Lord, this is... God said, wait, what is your problem? You want me to change the head of state or prosper your business? You know, there are people who pray and they say, we are praying in the name of Jesus. What they are asking is, God, this man is raising why we are not progressing. And they want God to listen. For times, let's stop it here. I need to continue from this particular point. We must learn to agree with God. Let's bow down hands and give the Lord thanks. Let's give him thanks. Let's just give the Lord thanks. Say, Lord, we thank you for giving us wisdom today. Lord, we thank you for giving us your word. Lord, we thank you. Say, Lord, teach me again. That's, it's an important prayer. Teach me again today the way that I should choose. Teach me your ways, Lord. Teach me your ways. Teach me your ways. Teach me your ways. You will not change. I'm the one that will change. Teach me your ways. Teach me your ways. I'm the one that will change, not you. So, Lord, teach me your ways. Teach me your ways, Lord, so I can agree with you. I want us to pray one prayer. Say, Lord, help me to do my part in advancing the kingdom. You know, it's important. Seek first the kingdom of God. Teach me to do my part in advancing the kingdom. Let's give him thanks because he has heard us. Because he has heard us. Let's say thank you. Father, we give you praise. In the name of Jesus, we have prayed. In the name of Jesus, we have prayed. It is well with you in Jesus' name. Amen. Every disagreement in your heart is corrected today in Jesus' name. Amen. One man said something after I released some messages. He said he has listened to a lot of them. He has taken correction. He said many of those corrections are not nice, but they are true. The grace to accept that which is not nice, but it's true. Receive it in the name of Jesus. Many people are suffering for stubbornness. That will not be your portion in the name of Jesus. You will not be like a meal that needs to have beets put in its mouth before it will agree to go with God. A willing heart is your portion in Jesus' name. I said a willing heart is your portion in the name of Jesus. Father, we give you praise. In the name of Jesus Christ, we have prayed. I declare to you that goodness will go with you in the name of Jesus. No sickness will go with you in Jesus' name. Peace of mind, the peace of God that passes all understanding will go with you in the name of Jesus. When you are in your house, safety is your portion. If you are on the way, safety is your portion. You will not die by accident. Your death will be determined by the fact that you have fulfilled the purpose of God for your life. And that you have a ripe old age. With long life, he will satisfy you. Now listen to this. I don't care how sick you are right now. I don't care what has been written concerning your, you know, your prognosis, like we say. This is the word of God. You will live and not die. Amen. With long life, he will satisfy you. Amen. And he will show you his salvation. Amen. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's share the grace in fellowship. Because of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, surely we have passed out of death and we have passed into life. We have passed out of darkness into the light of Christ. We have passed out from under the curse into the blessing. All things have passed away in our lives. We are now filled with the Spirit of Christ. We live above sin and walk above the devil. Because we are seated high above with Christ. This is our season of multiplication, dominion, and manifestation. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Quickly bless two people. One more person. This is your season of multiplication, dominion, and manifestation in the name of Jesus. All right. What about one for yourself? This is my season of multiplication, dominion, and manifestation. All right. Cheer up, brethren. God bless you.